when something beyond reason happens, it turns skeptics into believers. It's Manson Mitchell on the weekend with Gary Manson's Suzanne Mitchell, a double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Happy Saturday. Happy weekend, everyone. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together we are Mance and Mitchell in your ears for the hour, ably assisted by he who keeps us on an even keel every weekend. Of course, I'm talking about tall guy Nathan Miller. Nathan, how are you today? Good morning, Gary and Suzanne. And I'm just here eagerly waiting two more weeks until spring. I know for you Floridians out there, it's just like no big deal. It's always at least spring somewhere at some point in the year. But for us, (laughs) you know, with that recent snowstorm and uh all that going on it's nice to be warming back up and having some a little bit sunnier weather a seed of flowers again i'm happy for you but i'll have you know that suzanne and i tucked away in our sarasota redoubt are experiencing seattle-like weather it's totally overcast the rain is falling not not in in torrents like we get in summertime but it's it just reminds me of a seattle sky and so we look out at that and at the same time we're happy that things are warming up a bit for you folks but that's just any day in florida right just those afternoon like be sort of like a convergence zone here but in florida you got the east coast and then the west coast of the uh point going out to the ocean they just kind of mix together in the afternoon and always seems to cause rain at some point right uh, Nathan, you are absolutely correct in your medial, meteorological assessment. However, that is primarily the summertime. Okay. And, and so we do get a little bit of cool weather in the winter. We are two inches under normal rainfall. We've had a lot of sunny weather here. And, uh, and so it's kind of nice for us to have a rainy day for a change. Oh, good. We're enjoying it. And no thunder <laughs> and lightning, just, just a gentle rain all day long. And we'll take it because our plants are dry. Definitely. And, and so that's all I want to say meteorologically. Yes. <laughs> for the benefit of our many listeners who ask, what do we care? Yeah, what do we care about the weather in Florida? <laughs> they want to hear from a gentleman by the name of Mike Anthony. And I emphasize use of the name Mike Anthony because our good friend and a very well-respected psychic medium by the name of Mark Anthony, the psychic lawyer, is not who we have on the show today. Instead, we have someone who is quickly becoming very well known in his own right due to his documentary or participation in the documentary on Netflix. That's right. We were lucky to be able to get Mike Anthony today. We feel very lucky about that. Mike Anthony is a sometime professional actor, majority time bartender at Hamilton on Broadway after a personal experience completely shifted his understanding of how the universe works Mike turned to science for answers. Now spending his time investigating and writing about various lines of evidence suggesting we are much more than the bodies we temporarily occupy, a portion of Mike's story is featured in the 2021 Netflix series, Surviving Death. Mike is also the author of Life at Hamilton, a collection of stories chronicling his time bartending at the Broadway phenomenon, Hamilton, an American musical. And so for the first time, we are making his debut is Mike Anthony. Welcome to Manson Mitchell. Mike. Hello, you guys. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's our great pleasure, Mike. You have written a wonderful book. And Suzanne and I completed reading it this morning, the last 20 pages of it. And so we were waiting to see if the butler did it. 
Instead, it turned out to be <laughs> a revelatory piece you have rendered. And we're just very happy for you and for your success, not only with the book, but with this documentary, which even in sectors of, of the viewing public outside the metaphysical realm, which would include people like us who are really interested in this stuff to begin with there, but people even outside that typical viewership are expressing sincere interest in what you are uncovering and your willingness to share from your own life story. Yes. And, and that's, I think, the, the most important thing about it. And that's um, what the book that I wrote is aimed at. You know, we were talking a little bit before we went on air about how your audience is fairly sympathetic to this topic. You know, this is something that they're uh, mostly well aware of, the idea of mediumship and, and the uh, possibility of survival be, of consciousness beyond death. Um, but the main stream audience, at least in America, um, you know, by and large are unaware of the extraordinary evidence out there suggesting that um, consciousness is not confined to the skull. So the idea that a lot of people um, who may have not been exposed to this stuff before are watching the Netflix series uh, brings me, you know, great joy. Um. Yes. And you're doing it in the company yeah. of a first class, I would say world class investigative reporter, a journalist par excellence, Leslie Kane. And the two of you have, have teamed up to provide people with a pause to stop and consider the largest question of all about life, which is do we or any part of us actually go on once we have laid down these bodies and assume room temperature, as the saying goes. Uh, yes, yes. And Leslie, um, as you say, you know, um, I was aware of Leslie's work. She wrote a book about UFOs um, over a decade ago, I think at this point, that was a bestseller. And she is, you know, a New York Times journalist, highly credentialed, highly respected journalist. Um, and, and now she's become a good friend of mine, and she's one of the most intelligent people that I know. And uh, reading her book, Surviving Death, which is what the Netflix series is based on, um, that it was because it was her that was telling me these things in this book um, that I really gave the weight to it that I did, uh, particularly with um, some of the more quote unquote out there things, uh, at least as it's, it might ring in the ears of, of people who are not familiar with this stuff. Um, and referring specifically to physical mediumship, uh, right? Most of us in, in, in America are familiar at least with mental mediumship, which we see on shows like the Long Island Medium and crossing over with John Edward. Um, but not a whole lot of people are familiar with physical mediumship. And um, reading, it was because it was Leslie that was writing about it. And, and, you know, the New York Times does not hire people who are mentally uh, unfit in any way. You know, the, 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 the she, Leslie has to be incredibly careful about what she says and especially careful about what she writes. Her word is her entire livelihood. Um, so to read what she wrote, uh, and because it was her that was writing it, uh, let me know that there really is something to this. Mike, uh, Gary and I interviewed uh, Leslie Kane twice in 2017 regarding her book, Surviving Death. And one of the similarities that we noticed between Leslie's approach and your approach was that both of you, uh, her being an investigative journalist and your being a more or less private and personal investigator, you both approach the topic very, very skeptically and, uh, and in the true sense of skepticism. And Gary, you've talked about 
true skepticism for years now. And it's not somebody who's a debunker. They call themselves skeptics, but they're not that, are they? No. Uh, honest skepticism will always have a welcome. The welcome mat rolled out for it on Manson Mitchell. I can tell you that, Mike. What I do not appreciate is the type of skeptic who claims the mantle of skeptic, but in fact, they're really just a very thinly masqueraded cynic. They're very cynic. And anybody that declares to you, it's all BS. It's all nonsense. Anybody who believes in this is being a fool or they're being they're deluded or they're being fooled by a magician. And that's all there is to it forever. Amen. That's not a skeptic. That's not a scientific thinker. That's somebody who is deeply embedded in their own cynicism and they like to spread it around. I agree 100 percent, you know, and I write about that a lot in the book. Um, I've always been an open minded person, though skeptical. You know, I accept the information that is available and I want to know what is available. And that is what science is supposed to be, right? We observe something happen in the natural world and then we try to get to the bottom of what that thing is that we observed. Um, the skeptics that you are talking about, which I, I totally agree with you that skeptic is the wrong word. These people who are debunkers, they're closed off to the possibility. You know, I, I literally had a scientist say to me, a quote unquote scientist, um, it can't have happened because it can't have happened. And that is a sentence that makes no sense at all. Uh, and, and it's not science's job to say what can or cannot happen, right? It's science's job to observe what does happen. And it might be the case that something occurs that we observe that makes us need to change our equations, right? Um, it, it, we need to alter our theories um, to accept the new things that happen. We don't use the already established theories to rule out things that we see, right? That doesn't make any sense. So um, I, I agree with you completely. And I write in the book about, um, for instance, you know, there's the uh, amazing Randy, right? Who was a magician um, and, and he started the Skeptical Society and published the magazine. Um, and I, I do believe that Randy's intentions initially were... Um, were altruistic in, in that he was believing that people were being uh, hoodwinked um, and he was trying to save them from that. I, I do think that that was where he started. But um, by the end, I think he was completely blinded um, and, and other debunkers uh, to this day, like Michael Shermer, who I've had some communication with, um, you know, they're just, I believe they have a wall up. There's a cognitive dissonance that happens with them um, where in some cases I feel like it's actually, they're just impenetrable. It doesn't matter how good or how well-founded the, the evidence might be or how carefully the study was conducted. Um, their own cognitive dissonance uh, causes them to, to not let this information in. And, you know, I think a lot of that, Mike, really has to do with if confronted with something does not that does not fit your reality i think it can be very upsetting and very unsettling and you experienced some of that along the way in your own journey but you know imagine somebody who's maybe a little less open minded and a little more entrenched in don't shake up my worldview because it's going to upset me. And mm. you can see why people want to build those walls and say, my world is kind of safe in here. Don't, don't show me anything that's going to upset that. 
Yes, yes. I talked yeah. a lot about that with, um, you're, I'm sure you're probably familiar with Dr. Jim Tucker at the University of Virginia, who is the um, head of the Division of Perceptual Studies. And they have this phenomenal amount, it's now over 50 years of work of research into children who have memories um, from other lives. And the evidence is stunning. It's stunningly powerful evidence. Uh, so much so that the editor of, of the, uh, the JAMA book editor, the journal the American Medical Association, which is one of the most highly respected scientific journals in the entire world. Um, when he looked, when he reviewed one of Dr. Ian Stevenson's books, his conclusion that was that reincarnation is the most likely explanation. Now, if JAMA comes out tomorrow and says that, oh my gosh, you know what? Uh, saturated fat is not as bad as we thought it was. Eggs are, eggs are not as bad for you as we th thought they might be. That's splashed across the, the headlines, right? We hear it on the nightly news. But reincarnation, this thing that, this possibility that affects every single human being on the planet, the evidence for that is stronger than the connection between saturated fat and heart disease, for instance. And yet almost no one has heard about it. And um, that's what Dr. Tucker told me. We talked a lot about why isn't this on the nightly news? And um, I think you're right. It's just this, when, when scientists, you know, some of them spend a lifetime putting in intellectual energy into a topic, right? And if new information comes in that might, sh might shake the foundations of, of what they've come to believe, it can be uh, very frightening to the ego, right? Um, and because we start to identify with our work possibly. And if our work is threatened in a way we are, are, are threatened. Now, now we're getting into psychology a little bit here, but um, according to Dr. Tucker, who is a psychiatrist, uh, you know, this might be part of the reason why um, we have such a hard time getting this stuff out into the mainstream. The thing that persists, Mike, when you talk to this, first of all, for a guy who was going to pursue theater, now I, I recommend that you try to get one of the lead parts in Blythe Spirit because it's definitely <laughs> is your alley. It's amazing. There, but I'm very impressed with you for a number of reasons. One is that you are only willing to pursue this along what I would call clean lines to the point of being antiseptic. And there are people who are all in for mediumship of any kind, evidential mediumship, physical mediumship, channeling. trance, channeling, all of that. Those are the people I find uh, maybe very pleasant in their personalities, but they're difficult for me to talk to sometime because I want to come at this subject matter the same as I do with UFOs, for example, and that is cleanly. I want to know if the phenomena under consideration or that people are observing or witnessing or in which they are participating can stand the test of the scientific method. That really raises the bar. And you didn't have to be forced into that, Mike. You chose that path. I find that admirable. Yeah. I mean, for me, I needed that, you know, um, I, before I became a, an actor, I, I had actually gone to college thinking I was going to be a high school science teacher. So I've always loved science. When I was a kid, um, I remember going with my dad to the airport and watching planes take off. And I was completely mesmerized by these enormous um, objects 
taking off and lifting off into the sky and wondering what, how is this possible that that stays up there? How can we go by the ocean and see an ocean liner sitting on the water, but a rock sinks? What is happening? And when I got into middle school and then high school, I had this amazing teacher, Mr. Sawyer, who I write about a bit. Um, and when he taught me about Bernoulli's principle, which is uh, deals with airflow, and that's why why lift is uh, established and, and why an airplane stay, plane stays up in the air, it was like I was given the keys. You know, he was like unlocking these mysteries for me, and I fell in love with science and the human beings. Um, ability to use their intellect to figure things out. Um, but at the same time, I've always also been aware that there are limits to what science can do. Um, you know, there, there are places that our scientific instruments are not going to be able to reach, in my personal opinion. And now quantum physics is starting to bear that out. Uh, you know, we, we now re know that the foundations upon which our universe is built are completely baffling and, um, and we don't understand them at all. So, so to, just to go back one more moment to the skeptics again, for, or the debunkers, for anyone to say that anything is absolutely 100% impossible, when we don't even know what the foundation of our universe is built on, um, doesn't make sense to me because uh, the, 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 you know, we, we know about protons and neutrons and, and, and electrons and, and quarks, but beyond that, we go into like things like string theory, right? Uh, which says that it's at the very base of matter, it's vibrating strings. But what makes the string vibrate if that is true? We have no idea. We have no idea. Um, so, but anyway, yeah, when, when my dad passed and I started, uh, having these experiences with mediumship, um, I couldn't just take it on faith. I, I needed to know one way or the other, um, what I was dealing with here. And that was where the scientific method, uh, came into play for me to, to help me know what it was that I was experiencing. I want to go back to the beginning of the story because we're already, you know, well into our show without having laid our little bit of a foundation. And that is that you were not interested in mediumship throughout your entire life since you were a, a young toddler. You became interested in it after your dad passed. But as it turns out, it was a phone call that came to you. And so before we go to our break, I'd like you to give kind of a, a little brief summary of how you got involved in looking at the whole afterlife question. Yeah, mediumship uh, was kind of thrust into my life. Mo most people, I would say, seek mediumship out. Uh, for, for my family, it, it entered our lives. It was this external force. Uh, the, the, the short story is that uh, a medium who we never met, we had never met this woman, a complete stranger, was apparently getting messages from my dad. Um, and uh, she ended up contacting our family, telling us that my father had survived his death and that he was desperate to let us know that he had done that and that he was okay. I think it's only and fair and appropriate yeah. here because the book, after all, is called Love, Dad, How My Father Died, Then Told Me He Didn't. If you would, sir, give us the essential story of how you lost your dad, the events surrounding that, and how beyond the obvious grief any son would feel and your, your mother or the family, 
what was it that took you down this path? For example, you know, at some point we need to get to, well, why would you take somebody seriously? Because they call up and they're saying, I've heard from your dad. Right. Did you just believe (laughs) them right off the bat? No, 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 no. I, I, <laughs> I put all of these people through the, the ringer, uh, so to speak, to get to the bottom of this. Uh, my dad's passing was a shock to my family. He, he was 60, uh, but he was a very young 60 and very active. And he was the center of our family. You know, my dad was an extraordinary, extraordinary man um, with extraordinary kindness. Um, and I write a lot about him in the book and what he was like and why he was such a devastating loss. Um, so we were completely crushed out of the blue. Um, my dad and I were watching a football game together, a Monday night football game. And then 10 minutes later, as it turned out, he was dead. Uh, complete, from our perspective, completely out of the blue. And um, it sent me into a full-blown existential crisis because I was I could not let go of the thought that if someone as extraordinary as my dad, right, if all of the love that was in that man, all of the dreams he'd ever had, uh, all of his passions, his ideas, if all of that could suddenly disappear, like he'd never even walked the planet, if, if we are just this blip, this instantaneous blip in the infinite sea of time and space of the universe, then what is the point of anything? You know, what is the point of anything is how... It, that, that that thought was crushing me. Um, and that's, and then I saw my dad in the casket, you know, at the funeral. And that was uh, the shock of my life. Um, and it was a, incredibly bizarre. I, I could not understand what it was. If you had, if you looked at my dad with a microscope five days before that, he would have looked exactly the same under that microscope as the body in that casket looked. It was made up of the exact same material stuff. So what was it that made such a difference? What gave those atoms that make up my dad's body the distinct dadness that they had before his heart stopped beating? I couldn't let that thought go either. And so that's sort of the context around which mediumship came into our lives. Um, And I don't know, do you want me to go further? Do you have more time? Oh, please do. Oh, yes. Sure, yeah. So then um, when the phone call came, um, given I was in this deep, dark hole, you know, you're, you're ready to grab anything, right? A- any possible shaft of light that enters into your pit of despair, you want to grab onto. Um, and so when this phone call came out of the blue through this extraordinary set of circumstances, um, I desperately wanted to believe it. Of course I did. Of course. But given how my brain works, my brain was not going to just let me have that. So I ended up spending a long time on the phone with this woman. And frankly, when I first called her, what I was trying to figure out was, is this woman crazy, for lack of a better word? You know, I, uh, it seemed like a very strange thing for a complete uh, stranger who never met my dad, never met my family, to have such an urge uh, that, that she needed to reach out in this way. So very quickly into the conversation, I established that to me, I'm not a psychiatrist. So I, you know, uh, you, you take what I have to say with regard to her mental state with a grain of salt. But to me, she seemed like a lovely woman who was full of compassion. Um, and it seemed to me that she was only doing this because she really truly felt she had to, that she had this, um, uh, she, this responsibility. Compulsion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Almost, it was really a responsibility to this disembodied spirit that was my dad. According to her, his love for us was so grand, his, his desire so desperate to get to us, that she had no choice but to call us. 
And I completely believed her by the end of that conversation. And then she said some other things, which I detail in the book, um, that were, I couldn't quite understand how she would know. And um, so that's what sent me down the path of, of uh, mediumship in general. I now needed to know, is there any evidence for this beyond what this woman is, is saying? We've distinguished on our show several times the various kinds of mediumship. And the one that uh, Gary and I always like, you, you called it mental mediumship. And Gary and I generally refer to it as evidential mediumship. Mm -hmm. And we've had many a medium on who practices evidential mediumship because they want to bring you the evidence that who it is that's communicating with them is the person you know that you know and right. um and so you know i understand and it and it, in your book because it is so thorough you also talk about uh channeling and um and tra trance work where um you know you you're not necessarily getting evidential it's a different type of mediumship and then uh, also physical mediumship and Gary and I are familiar with that only because of the, um, the church we've been going to in Sarasota that has a background in physical mediumship. So we're aware of what that is. But for me and Gary, we haven't ourselves gotten to the point of accepting physical mediumship or channeling completely. We're, we're still skeptics about it but we've had so much experience with evidential mediumship that that right now we can say yes or no, depending on you know who we're talking to as to whether or not it seems real to us, just based on the evidence. Um, we're coming up on a break. I've got some very specific things I want to go into afterwards. Is there anything that you want to do to wrap up this part of it, Gary? I'm inclined to take our break a couple of minutes early because okay. I've got a story from our own studio in Seattle. Okay. You talk about evidential mediumship. I think Mike Anthony would like to hear this story. Okay. It affected us in a way that I found quite telling and i would love to get your response to that and yeah. then maybe what we'll get i mean my god this is a I book we questions. could we could do a two-hour show easily and we yeah. still wouldn't exhaust the topic nor the the quality of this book so let's go ahead and take our break now and then we're going to say more stuff and then we're going to hear from mike anthony <laughs> and he will be vastly entertained i predict <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to Manson Mitchell. Today of all days, there is a wonderful book out there. Now you should buy it. It's called Love, Dad, How My Father Died, Then He Told Me He Didn't. Mike Anthony is the author. And of course, if you subscribe to Netflix, what a treat awaits you if you haven't seen episodes of that wonderful series, Surviving Death. It's an extraordinary time to be looking into this subject matter with the technology that we have available today. Our technology is going to take us into a break for a couple of minutes. Stick around and more of Manson Mitchell, more of Mike Anthony right here at Seattle's home of alternative talk, AM 1150. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to mansonmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Manson Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. 
Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is manceandmitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. More and more these days, it feels like sports are losing out to hype. Who dissed who? Who signed the fattest contract? Who got busted for cheating? Lost 2 is the unique capacity sports have to inspire us, to unite us. Well, great news, sports fans. Sports are still being played for the right reasons. They're still as entertaining as they are character building. You just have to know where to find it. And you only have to look as far as your local Washington High School. You know, the place where the games are exciting, concessions are affordable, and the parking is free. Where the emphasis is on hustle and heart instead of hype. If you prefer real, honest-to-goodness sport played for all the right reasons, you'll find it at your hometown high school, High School Sports. Games are being played this weekend at a Washington High School near you. Okay, everybody, who's in? This message presented by the Washington Interscholastic Activities Association and the Washington State Secondary Athletic Administrators Association. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We're a couple of baby boomers who bring you a talk radio mix of metaphysics and music, politics, and pop culture. And you never know which celebrity will join us for an interesting conversation. Mance and Mitchell is Boomer HQ, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on 1150 AM KKNW. Your home for alternative talk in Seattle and Western Washington. You found us. Maybe you've been guided to listen. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, Mike Anthony. Mike is the author of Love Dad, How My Father Died, Then Told Me He Didn't. A great, great, great book and actually a great companion book if you already have Surviving Death or if you've seen the Netflix series, you'd want to get this book too and you'd have two on your shelves that are just phenomenal about this topic. Mike, if people would like to connect with you, I'm kind of assuming they can get the book most anywhere, but you know, what is your website and how can people find you if they want to know more? Uh, yeah, MikeAnthony.com is the website, and I have some uh, clips of uh, some video clips of the stuff that I'm working on there. And uh, I also have been getting a lot of emails from people, which is fantastic. And I promise I'm gonna uh, get back to everybody. And uh, you can contact me through the website. I've been hearing beautiful stories, and um, you know, and, and people I know who are dealing with grief right now. Especially, uh, I have read your emails, and I will continue to, and I will get back to, to all of you as well. So yeah, MikeAnthony.com. Excellent. Thank you. Wonderfully, wonderfully said. And uh, I can't say enough for this book. It's just a joy to read. Very, it's inspiring, actually. 
Let me tell you, Mike Anthony, about an inspiring incident that happened in our Seattle KKNW radio studio there. This is years ago, too. My goodness, we're talking about closing in on, well, about a decade, I suppose. Easily. This is still one of the more poignant experiences I had in relation to my mother's passing. She died back at the end of March in 2008. And not that long afterward, we started doing this show, one of its iterations in 2007. And we're here, you know, in our 14th year and hopefully heading toward a 15th anniversary and talking about this kind of material because it fascinates us endlessly. One very telling incident. After my mom passed away, we made the acquaintance of a medium who is well regarded in Puget Sound. And we invited her to come in and do an hour with us. She did. In the course of that, she brought my mother through, and I didn't invite that because it's it's a rule with Suzanne and I that we don't want to make it about us. You know, you're our guest. We want to talk about you and what you experienced, Mike. So that this is a good example. Nevertheless, my mom came through and she let us know a few things about her own survival of physical death. And in the course of this message that we received, I was so touched and amazed when the medium said, this is a message for Suzanne. So Gary, your mother is sending this message to Suzanne. She wants to thank Suzanne. She's saying, thank you for the flowers. And I was just blown away by that because the fact of the matter is, Mike, and all those listening, my mother, who was very diligent and had everything paid down to the last nickel, had prepaid her funeral plan when she could get it a lot cheaper than after the fact of her death. We know how that works. Mm -hmm. There was one, one, and exactly one item that was not included in the funeral plan, something that had to be paid for separately, and it was the funeral spray of flowers for her casket. Wow. And so when that was made known to me, there was money available that uh, could be spent on something else. But Suzanne interrupted when we were talking to the funeral director and making the plans. And Suzanne, do you recall? I I said, I would like to pay for the flowers for Mary Bell. She (laughs) said, your mother has been so kind to me and made me so welcome. I would like to do that for her. Boom. I mean, that's, and I told no one, Mike, that's not somebody who just comes up in coffee conversation at Starbucks there. And and I kept that and I thought, what a lovely thing for my lady to do and hear this medium his passing on a thank you from my mother on the other side for the purchase of flowers in her honor. That happened after she was gone. So, you know, that, that was highly, highly, highly evidential for us. And you know what I found, Mike, I will say this, and you, you cover a lot of ground in this book of yours, Love Dad. I mean, you really have made an adventure, a continuing one, as a matter of fact. But what I have found personally is that the most compelling evidence from the, the realm of mediumship is unspectacular in my case. Now, I could say it was spectacular to have my mom thank Suzanne for the flowers. Okay, yeah, I'll cop to that. But the fact is, it was in the in a flow of conversation during an interview on the radio. There were no trumpets. There was no ectoplasm or all of these things that are the spectacular elements of physical mediumship. It was a message of thanks passed through a medium. I found that some of the most startling insights I've gotten have happened rather casually in conversation. 
Yes, I yeah. Um, it happens to me. Um, first of all, I, your story gave, gave me chills, and I always feel like I'm floating a little bit when I hear stories like this because it just re continues to revalidate this stuff. But um, yeah, the best evidence for me is are little things like this, little personal things that are typically not published anywhere. You know, I go into this a lot in the book because um, you know the debunkers who believe there is simply no such thing as mediumship say that therefore these people must be cheating somehow, and one. Of the ways they say they they are cheating is by hot reading, where they're googling their names and they're looking up their obituaries and getting all of the information they can that way, or maybe even using private detectives if they're going to great lengths. Um, so it's these little things that are said that are not published anywhere that a medium simply could not know. Um, you know, for instance, one of the ones that happened with us that was great. My my sister and I, um, right after my dad passed, were cleaning out his closet and we were. Uh, you know, in despair. And this mouse ran out from my dad's closet and my sister jumped up on the bed and screamed. And then by the end of it, we were rolling in laughter. And it, you know, it was this nice little uh, uh, relief from the, from the despair for a moment. And a medium said, did you recently get scared by a mouse? So again, that's a little thing we had shared with no one. It's not published mm -hmm. anywhere. It's just this little personal thing. And, and what you're saying about trumpets, I mean, I, I, I feel that all the time. You know, I have these things happen and you think there should be trumpets and confetti and, and there should be like a whole news team here to be witnessing. I mean, I'm getting evidence of life beyond death, um, but it doesn't come with trumpets. You're right. It's it's these personal things, um, as small and personal as they would be, were they still here in a physical body? I, I made a note about three things from your book, Love, Comma, Dad, that I had not heard anybody else say. Now, either I wasn't paying attention or you're the first person I heard this from, and I made a note of those three things. There may be more, but there are at least three things that were new information to me after all these years and all the books I've read. And one of them that I thought was, was interesting was the idea of patterns. Mm. And you talk about for you that when you saw more than one medium and you did, you saw several, that somehow you felt that things were more valid when all the mediums were saying much the same thing. So I wanted you to say a little bit about patterned communication. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring this up because I was just speaking with a medium yesterday uh, in an interview and she told me that the reason my dad did this with patterns uh, is because he knows how my brain works and he knew that I would need something like this to really latch on to, to let me know that something genuine was happening. So what began to happen is um, with the first medium that we sat with, my my maternal grandparents first came through, my mom's mom and dad came through and then they brought in my father who all the of the three mediums said um, he is like a son to them, which was true. My mom and dad met when they were 12 and 13. So mm -hmm. he grew up in their house basically. Yeah. So even though they weren't his parents, they were like his parents. The first three mediums that we went to all said that, all had that same pattern. The first people to come through were my maternal grandparents. And then they said, and now they're bringing through a younger male who is like a son to them. And that pattern 
and, and then there were other things too. They all also focused very heavily on the fact that my dad passed very quickly like that. They all went like that. Um, and that made a lot of sense too, because we were harping. I, I could not let go of the thought of my dad's last moments, you know, because he was alone in the house. I, I was um, losing my mind thinking that he was afraid in the last moments of his life, trying, maybe trying to get to the phone. Um, and I was driving myself crazy worrying about what his last moments were like. So it made great sense that these three mediums would focus so strongly on the fact that he went like this, that there was no pain, that he was here and then gone. So I couldn't understand how that pattern could happen unless something genuine was going on. Me, uh, the, the debunkers would say that this was just chance, okay? But if you run the statistical analysis on this, that it would, all three of them would say, okay, I have your mom's mom and dad here and they're bringing in someone who is like a son to them. And that's an important word. None of them said it's their son. It's like a son. Um, and, and that they would focus on how he passed, <clears throat> the speed with which he passed. The statistic, it's astronomically small that you would um, get that same pattern three times in a row. Um, so for me, it ruled out um, it made that possibility seem very remote. And it's, it seemed the other option would be that all mediums are getting together, having coffee once a week and saying, okay, uh, you saw this guy, Mike, uh, make sure that you talk about his maternal grandparents first and then his father, you know, which is obviously yeah, impossible crazy. that they all yeah. get together to do that. Um, so that's why the patterns were such an important part of it for me. Cause I could not, in my mind, they cannot be explained away. And I think in part, it really does have to do specifically with how your brain works, that that for you, that was important, because I, I said to Gary, we've never looked for patterns. And, um, you know, that has never come up for us. But that that seems to be important to you, which kind of rolls right into the second thing that you wrote about that I've never heard before. And, and you've done so much research and you've talked to so many uh, scientific people that um, I, I, it really caught my attention. And that was when you wrote that there are people um, on the other side of the veil who have a facility for communicating and not everybody does as though perhaps you would have to learn how to do it. And it reminded me of the first time that my dad came through after his passing, I got a, a message at our church and what the medium said was, Suzanne, your dad is here Gary's mom brought him, she's showing him how it's done. Mm. And, and so there was a need for, let me show you how this all works. And then in your book, you write that, um, you know, some spirits on the other side, and your dad would definitely be one of those, are easily able to communicate across the veil, get to a medium. And other people, apparently, I, I don't say that they're not interested, they may not be capable of it. So would you say that's like a skill or a talent that you have to develop on the other side? Yeah. Now, of course, this is something that's, you know, there's no scientific data on, of course. Right. Um, but 
what it, it began to occur to me and, and not, not only occur to me, I had a medium say this to me that your dad is particularly good at this. It doesn't matter what medium you go to, he's going to be able to come through. Um, and I also right. want to preface this by saying, um, you know, my, my, uh, what happened to me is atypical. The way that I, I would ask my dad to say something specific, for instance, and he would say that very specific thing multiple times. Um, that doesn't always happen. So I don't want people to be discouraged, you know, if they read this yes. book. Yeah. And then they go to a medium and it doesn't happen exactly that way. That does not mean that their loved one is not there. It, it does not mean that at all. My experience was atypical. And maybe there's a reason I had this experience the way that I did. So I would write this book and, and get this word out as much as I can. But um, yeah, it started to seem like, you know, maybe it is a talent like anything else. Like here on this side, some people are, are can go to the major leagues and they bat three hundred, you know, um, but most people can't throw a 95 mile an hour fastball. Um, maybe my dad is particularly, uh, good. He has a particular facility with this ability. Um, and maybe it does take some practice. And, and then, you know, after I started thinking about that, I have had spirits, um, cause I have also done things with mediumship, uh, you know, trans mediumship, physical mediumship, where you're hearing more directly, supposedly from spirits. And they, they have said that, that this is something that takes, um, practice and, and you can get better at it over time. Um, and so it seems that my dad, um, is just really, really good at this. And the, the other thing about my dad that other mediums have talked about is that uh, my dad was an extraordinarily kind man. You know, he was this in incredible guy. He had this real uh, energy about him. Um, and mediums have said that because my dad, he didn't have, he wasn't a religious man, right? He, 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 he didn't believe in any particular religion. He believed in love and just being in the moment. And they, one medium said to me that because your dad did not have strong religious beliefs, which of course this medium could not have known. She didn't know that. She said, because he didn't have strong religious beliefs when he died and then came, uh, opened his eyes on the other time, uh, on the other side, he was like, oh, okay, I'm here now. And it didn't take him a long time to adjust to his new situation because he didn't have expectations that were or were not being met. He was just in the moment. Um, and so that also, according to the mediums, made it easier for him to immediately start communicating with us because there was no, uh, he didn't need much time before he was again, 100% focused on his family and making sure that we knew that he was okay. So yeah, it's very possible that this is an ability. It makes perfect sense to me. I like to say that and I've talked to a few people about this too, who are very skeptical about an afterlife. And what I say to them is simply this. I made my peace with the idea that when I draw my last breath in this body, that may be it. I may be extinguished, snuffed out like a candle. And if that's it, I'm okay with that. Why? Because I won't know I'm dead. I simply will just disappear and my consciousness goes back into the ether or where it dissipates, whatever it does. And that's the end of it. Every time I say to myself, Gary, it's okay if there's nothing beyond this. You get on the radio, you talk about this, you've had mediums, authors there, and there is a point of view, a metaphysical view of life and the afterlife. But if it turns out to be bunk and I'm simply gone, my regrets die with me. It's okay. And then immediately, just like, like a, a thought bubble comes up. Yeah, but the fact is it doesn't work that way. 
karmically speaking, we don't get off the hook that easy. <laughs> there is a continuity of life and there is an accountability to the lives we lead. And that includes the sequential lives that we may lead if indeed reincarnation is a reality. Now, Mike, we have about seven minutes here. And if you don't mind, Suzanne, if this is okay, because we really got excited about that one chapter, mm -hmm. please say a little bit, which will tease the next appearance. We'd like, there's the formal invitation, please come back <laughs> and we can get into it in more depth. But were you not greatly impressed by learning more about the life and career of Dr. Ian Stevenson, who was a man with impeccable scientific credentials, and he apparently went out on a limb. Oh, God. Yeah, Ian Stevenson, um, I, I, I started looking into the other. Once, once mediumship seemed to me like a genuine phenomenon that is possible, I started to wonder, are there other lines of evidence suggesting uh, that life does go, go on beyond the death of the the body. And it turns out, of course, as your listeners will know, there are lots of other lines of evidence, like near-death experiences, um, right? Especially veridical ones where someone dies and they come out of their body and then they see something that they could not have seen or they hear something down the hall that they could not have heard. Um, to science, those are extremely interesting cases. Um, and then one of the things that struck me the most was Dr. Ian Stevenson's work, um, looking into children who have memories that they claim are from when they lived before a previous life that they lived. And in the best cases of which there are thousands now, literally thousands, I think they have over 2,500 solved cases. Uh, they, the kid, the child gives enough um, information that they can actually track down this previous person and see, oh my gosh, everything that kid said is true. Yes, he did have a red tractor. Yes, he died when that red tractor ran over him. Um, you know, yes, he had a daughter named Julia. Um, he lived by a stream. You know, in some cases, the, the, the details are that specific. Um, and Dr. Ian Stevenson was this incredibly brilliant guy. He was the head of the... Um, the D Department of Psychiatry at the University of Virginia when he was only like 35 years old, which was extremely young uh, to head up a department like that. He had published like over 300 times in, in scientific journals. I mean, this guy was a had a mainstream focus at the beginning and he was a really smart guy. And when he came across these cases, the evidence to him was so astounding that he ended up spending the rest of his life, the whole rest of his life, putting all of his mental energy into that one specific topic because that's how compelling the evidence was. Um, and, and that was enough to, to intrigue me. And, um, and so I actually went down to the University of Virginia because I'm the kind of person that, you know, I need to like meet these people face to face and, and get a real sense of, of who they are um, before I can fully trust what I'm, what I'm reading. And so I spent a lot of time down at the University of Virginia speaking with Dr. Tucker, who now, uh, who took over for Dr. Stevenson, who passed away. And um, to me, the, the evidence, you cannot leave, if you give that evidence a fair hearing, you cannot walk away thinking, well, there's nothing to this. You just can't. It's that weight of evidence too, about all those cases suggestive of reincarnation as the most likely explanation of the phenomena. Which, which actually brings me to the third thing that I read in your book that I have not heard anybody else say. And, and that was that, that you were talking about how quickly people will generally come back 
And you said, according to the statistical information, it's generally about four and a half years that people will return. But interestingly enough, you talked about, especially with all these kids who remember their past lives, that the ones, the, the, the ones who remember their past lives vividly seemed to have a traumatic death. And so it wasn't like it was some, you know, 100 year old person that went to sleep. These were people who were, you know, stab shot, went off a cliff, you know, had very traumatic kinds of deaths that seemed to remember them most clearly when they returned and were able to describe it as young children. I've never heard that before. I thought that was an interesting fact, didn't you? Fascinating. Yeah. The, 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 um, again, if we're looking at patterns, um, uh, there's a lot of fascinating data there. And yeah, most of the cases of children who remember previous lives, um, have quote unquote unnatural passing. So murder, car accident, uh, you know, something that wasn't a heart attack where they just died at a hundred years old in their bed, which may mean that something about the mode of death affects reincarnation and how quickly it happens you know because the uh though the four years old is the average uh, four years passing might be the average there's a great range um you know th there are cases yes. where someone had only been passed for a, a days before yes. the new child was born in some cases yes. we're talking 50 years in one of the most famous american cases a kid named james leininger which is a We've talked about him on our show before, oh. how he was the former James Houston that got shot down. We, we've talked about that a couple of times. So, yeah. you know, a lot of our listeners will remember that. A most compelling case, yeah. that is for sure. One of the most, yeah. One of the things that I wanted to say while we're still on air together mm -hmm. is that uh, we're going to be reading your book again. We just want to revisit certain parts of it because they're thrilling when you take the metaphysical point of view as we do and as you do now. We would love to have you come back and talk about what I predict is going to be your increasing encounter with skeptics. I want to call this next visit of yours, Mike Anthony answers the skeptics because <laughs> when you when you become suddenly famous, you know, and you've got all this attention, a wonderful book, your appearances in the Netflix documentary, you're working with Leslie Kane. You, they are going to come out of the woodwork, but I suspect you know that already. I do, and I look forward to it. I look forward to it. I, I've had. Uh, which may, we'll get into next time. Uh, I've had an experience, you know, the, the data is fascinating and science uses data to prove a lot of things. Um, but I have had an experience that data is not, not necessary. I've had an objective experience sitting beside Leslie Kane, a New York Times journalist uh, that everyone in the room saw that completely changed my life. And, and, and now I know without a doubt that it doesn't matter how many Nobel prizes a person might have. If they say there is nothing, there is no such thing as anything quote unquote paranormal, they're wrong about that. I don't care how much more, uh, how many more points they have on their uh, IQ scale than I have, they're not correct if they say that. I know that now. We will take that up next time. We will. Same bat time, same bat channel. <laughs> Excellent. The book, Love Dad. How My Father Died Then Told Me He Didn't. Mike Anthony, our honored guest of this hour and hopefully other hours to come. Thank you, Mike. It's been a real pleasure. I've had such a great time with both of you. Thank you very much for having me. Okay, thank you. Coming up next is Jupiter Rising.
And uh, and then a bunch of other good stuff on 1150 KKNW Seattle. And we'll be back next Friday. Have a great weekend and stay safe, everyone.